We've been, uh, we've been having a series on the life of Job, and today's service is really in, in honor and memory of uh, Sister Clara, who, if you knew Sister Clara, was just such a, was such, I was just such amazed at this woman's life and her miss, mission, and uh, I didn't get to know her until the latter part of her life. But um, for someone her age, uh, she had certainly a lot of energy and a lot of sense of mission, didn't she? And I think there's no one in this room that could ever say that she didn't in some way impact your life. And she always seemed to have a word and season for people. Um, and I think all of us, maybe what we could do during the meal, we could just have a time of testimony where people could just share what uh, Sister Clara's uh, life meant to them and how her life impacted your life. So we'll do that during the, the luncheon. But we've been talking about Job, and I think that this message really fits in with the life of our sister uh, Clara. And when we look at the life of Job, we think about a man who really was a, a victim of his circumstances, don't we? Whenever we hear the name Job or people talk about Job, uh, there's a real sense of, wow, this man really suffered. But what happens oftentimes is that we miss the amazing blessing of God in Job's life. And Job, the book of Job is one of the oldest books ever written in the Bible. Yet it deals with one of the most common and one of the most um, realistic situations that people in this life today experience, and that is suffering. And today in, our, in, our, in the world that we live in, there's a real sense of victimhood and God forbid that you ever become a victim because you have rights and you can fight that victimhood. And I think that that's a great aspect and that's a great characteristic of our nation that we live in that really the system is in such a way that it um, stands up for the underdog or is ready there to defend the rights of a victim. But when we look at the way the plan of God very often happens in people's lives, we see that people suffer. And I want to talk about this for a few minutes this morning from the perspective of that we are not a victim by we are not the things that we suffer. And you know, when we think of Sister Clara, uh, nothing could put her down. Uh, she would be in a lot of pain and she, you wouldn't even know it. And uh, she was a woman, and I, I don't like to use the word was because she still is, she's in heaven, and she's uh, at, the, at the throne of God now, ministering at the throne of God. But uh, she, was, she is a woman that, uh, to me, was a person that never was a victim. And uh, she had hard times, and it's just amazing. Some of her family's here today. It's amazing that she would always say all, her whole family was impacted by God. And uh, from what I understand, just about everyone in her family is saved. And she was such a great... Uh, example of how to raise your family in the Lord, but Sister Clara was not a victim in her life, and when we look at Job, uh, we spoke last time about the misery that he had faced and the circumstances that he had faced. He had lost his entire family, except for his wife. He lost all of his goods. Uh, everything burned down, uh, and then at that point, uh, right after that, he con contracted a disease that um, was very painful and he had boils all over his body and they were 
Uh, it was a very grotesque situation that he was in physically. And in chapter 2, verse 11, I'm gonna, I want to just, if you want to follow with me, if you have a Bible, you can, but I'm going to go through these verses quickly. But I want us to get a context of the situation here. That Now, when Job's three friends had heard of all this evil that had come up upon him, they came each from his own place. Chapter 2, verse 11 of Job. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shunite, Zophar, the Naamathite. They all made an appointment together to come to condole with him and to comfort him. And when they saw him from afar, they did not even recognize him. So here's Job's three best friends. They're on their way to comfort and to encourage Job. And as they're approaching Job, they look at him and they can't even recognize him because of the condition he's in. And when they saw him from afar, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they rent their robes. When people rent their clothes, when they tear their clothes in the, uh, in the Old Testament or in the Bible, it's a, it's a sign of just great drama and great um, uh, distress and um, disappointments. And when they had seen him, they, raised, they rent their clothes, sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven, and they sat, they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. Think of that. They see him from a far away. His condition is unbelievable. Uh, they can't even recognize his friend. I think we've all seen people like that in our lives where they're going through a very difficult time and we approach them, we can't even recognize them sometimes. And so Job and his three friends, Job is sitting on the ground. Here's a man who was extremely wealthy before all this calamity fell on him. And now he's sitting on the ground with ashes on his head, which is a sign of just utter humiliation. He was so humiliated by uh, his health situation and by his family situation. He just sat there in silence. And his three friends came and sat there for seven days with him, and no one spoke a word because they saw his suffering was very great. I think there's a lot of wisdom in this, that when someone is suffering a lot, sometimes there's not a lot that we can say. And maybe even if we try to say something to them, it could come across so shallow and just, just ricochet right, up, right off of them. I think that there's a time when people, when they suffer a lot, the best thing to do is that we just sit with them, quietly pray, put our arm around them, hug them, just, just be there. Because a lot of times our presence can be just so encouraging. But unfortunately, after the seven days, Job's three friends start to voice their opinion about Job's situation. Now, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there where uh, dear, dear friends of ours, when we're in a very difficult situation, they come and they voice their opinion about what's happening in our life. And there's four things that Job's friends say. Now, Job had three friends. The fourth one will show up later. Talk about him in a minute. But his three friends have a perspective on what's happening in his life. And, and they, are, they are somewhat, they are believers in God, we find out. But as they're speaking, they're sharing with Job their theology about what's happening. You ever meet somebody like that where you're in a circumstance, someone comes to you, somewhat maybe insensitive, and we actually can do this ourselves, and they share with you their theology that, that just totally misses the mark. Number one, um, we see that Eliphaz in chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, and this happens for the next uh, 29 chapters. 
Okay? 29 chapters, Job's friends are just talking. <laughs> 29 chapters. And there's only 42 chapters in the book. 29 chapters, Job's friends are talking. And Job's first friend, Eliphaz, which seemed to be the, the easiest one, said this in chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, that, Job, you're reaping what you sowed. Job, you are reaping what you sowed. And this is, this is actually what he said. Think now in verse, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Think now, who was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Eliphaz basically was telling Job, Job, you had this coming. There was something wrong with you that nobody knew. And you are sowing now what you reaped. And this is not the counsel of God in this case. Although what Job's friends say may be theologically true, the application of what his friends are saying is misapplied and it doesn't apply to his situation. And so you have three types of people that are represented in his three, type, in his three friends. Number one, you have the type of person that says to us or to you or another person, you had this coming, that you were so, you sowed this, you had this coming. And here's Job sitting on the ground. He lost, just lost his entire family. Imagine that. He, his whole entire family has been wiped out. All of his wealth is wiped out. And he's got this incredible disease on his skin. And his, verse, and his first friend says, you had this coming. The second one, his name is Bildad in chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. Bildad says this, does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the power of their transgressions. What's Bildad saying here? Bildad is saying that, you know what, Job, you are suffering all of this because someone in your family sinned. This is unbelievable how human beings interpret suffering and how, how off we can be about God's mind about people suffering. And so Bildad says, you're suffering because somebody in your family sinned. And then the third person, Zophar, in chapter 11, verses 14 through 15, says, you're suffering because you sinned. Wow, that's encouraging, isn't it? You know, when, whenever we suffer, all of these voices, we got the voice of Elpha, Eliphaz, we have the voice of Bildad, and we have the voice of Zophar. And stay with me here for a minute, because I think with me here, um, I don't want to lose you, but these three voices are not only coming at people who suffer, but they're also inside of our own head. We say to ourselves sometimes when we're suffering that I am reaping what I sowed. I knew that it couldn't be this good for so long. I knew this, this day was coming. That's the voice of Eliphat. And then the second voice, Bildad, says, well, someone sinned in your family. And that voice in our head can accuse us when we're suffering. That, you know what, maybe somebody else sinned. Maybe someone else did something and it's caused all of this suffering in my life. And then the third voice, which is the, really the, the toughest one, is Zophar in chapter 11, verse 14. You are suffering because you sinned. Now, these are three voices. These are not the voices of God. Whenever we suffer, we have to be careful who we're listening to. Now, suffering may be great or it may be very, may be very small. Four things I just want to say about Job's suffering is that, number one, I already said the first one, is that many times when we suffer, 
people will say things to you and I that may be true, may be theologically correct, but it's really the wrong time and the wrong application to say it. Number two, it's important to understand that prosperity and evil are not proportionally distributed because of good or bad, meaning that a person doesn't prosper in this life or a person doesn't suffer in this life because of what he or she does or does not do. We have to remember that, that very, very often, like Job, suffering comes to great good people. And, and on the other hand, very often you see people that are wicked or they're evil and you see they're prospering. In Psalm 78, David asks this question. He says, why are the wicked prospering? We look at the world today and we look at very good, I don't know who said it, but it's part of our English language culture, the good die young, or it's the good that always suffer, isn't it? And a lot of times that can be so true because we live in a world that is just so evil. Another thing that we have to remember in, in chapter 12, verses 13 through 16 of Job, is that God is in control, that nothing is outside of the control of God. You know, during the Civil War here in the United States, many people died and they suffered. During the Great Depression in the 30s, a lot of people suffered and died. World War II, many, many people died. We have to remember, though, that God is in control and that evil is not out of control. That God is in control and we can look to God. And this is number four. There is wisdom in God, the way he does things in all of the chaos. And we're going to see later on in chapter 42 that God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. And sometimes that can happen in our lives. Everything can be in such a whirlwind. And then we hear the voice of God. It's important to remember in chapter 28, verses 12 to 13, and also 20, verse 23, that there is wisdom. There's the wisdom of God in what's happening. That God desires to communicate wisdom. And here's what very often we fail, is that when there is trouble and difficulty and suffering, at that moment, we got to get alone with God, get on our knees and just start listening to God's wisdom. Instead of posting it on Facebook, instead of texting everybody, instead of calling someone up and complaining, instead of, instead of really getting into a baby mode where we just whine, but to hear from God. I think about Sister Clara, She's, she was not a whiner, she was not a complainer. And when she suffered, she always, she always went after God to get wisdom from God. And I love that. I love that about her life. She was a soul winner, too. Uh, she was just an amazing person that really desired to invest and disciple people. And I think that every one of us could say that she, in a great way, impacted our lives. Then we see, after Job's three friends talk, we see... Another guy, a third, a fourth guy come in, and his name is Elihu. And this is a young man who really had the wisdom from God. This is a man that spoke from God's perspective. Elihu is the guy, the fourth friend. We don't even know if he was a friend of Job. He's just a guy who appears on the scene. 29 chapters, we get human viewpoint. And this is something we have to realize that many times when people suffer, that they're going to get a lot of human viewpoint. And all the time why, while people are, Job's friends are giving him human viewpoint and not God's viewpoint, Job is justifying himself. He's saying, I don't deserve this. Job is saying, I, was, I am a good man. 
I, I am not living in sin. These things are, I'm not a bad man. And why, and, and why are these things happening to me? I think this is the biggest question that we can ask as human beings, the most often asked question, why? Why is this happening? I remember as we were driving away from, we had just buried my mom, and we were just, we were driving away from the, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the cemetery. And the whole time, you know, when you're, when you're going through all of this, when you're burying a loved one, there are so many details to take care of. It's unbelievable. You don't even have almost time to grieve. And as I was driving away from the cemetery, it hit me. It hit me that we, were, we had just put my mom in the grave, and we were driving away, and we were never going to see her. And it just hit me. I had to pull the car over, and I just was a mess for like 20 minutes. You know, and I remember asking myself, why is it, why do people die? Like, this is so unbelievable. This is so not the part of nature. Like, all of us inside of us have a real deep sense of eternity, don't we? That we're going to live forever, that we're never going to die. You hear this in love songs, you hear this in romantic poetry, that I will love you forever. There's a part of us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that was never meant to die, and that is our soul. And you know, when we see human suffering today, we hear on the news every day, Christians are dying in the Middle East, just these, these cruel deaths. It's unbelievable. And the news is not properly talking about it because uh, it's been calculated that every 11 minutes someone dies in this world because they were a Christian. That is personally, Africa is really unbelievable what's happening there. But God brings in Elihu, a man who's got God's viewpoint. And this is the man that we want to be looking for. When we are suffering, we want to be looking for Elihu, the guy who comes into our life that has God's perspective. And he begins to speak, and he, and he speaks for quite a while from chapter 32 all the way to chapter 37. And here we learn something that neither Job nor his friends had discovered. Namely, that suffering in the righteous is not a token of God's anger at us, but, be, uh, his, but of his love. Elihu says that the point that he makes in his speech, and I encourage you to go home and read this, chapter 32 through verse 37, that suffering does not happen in a person's life because God is angry at them. That's what the devil says. That's what Elihu, this is what um, Job's three friends said. But it's because God loves them, and there is something, it's not a punishment of their, for their sins, but a refinement in our life. It's a purging, it's a, if I can say, a major tweaking that's going on in our lives. It's not a preparation for destruction, but protection from destruction. <laughs> suffering, because when we look at suffering, we are people that are very visual, aren't we? We have five senses, taste, touch, smell, what's the other ones? Hearing, Hearing and, wow, I need to go back to school, I can't even name the five senses. <laughs> we live in the world of sense, don't we? And we just, you know, we get so trapped in what we see and what we hear and what we feel. But, and this is what happened with Job's three friends, they were wrong. Suffering is not the proof of wickedness that Job had been wrong. His suffering was not the proof of God's anger at him, nor had God become Job's enemy. Elihu came to put the argument in a new 
foothold. And so Elihu begins to bring God's viewpoint in. And these are the kind of people that you want to surround yourself in in hard times. People that think with God. Let me just say that. If you, if you get one thing, if you get two things out of this message, I want you to remember these two things. Number one, when you suffer, don't get subjective about what's going on in your life. Don't get subjective. Like, oh, it's me. It's that person. Don't get subjective. And don't put yourself on, the, on trial. And number two, when we suffer, surround yourself with people that are thinking with God. I like to think that our church thinks with God. I like to think that people in our church think with God. You know, every, every week we have, we have folks that come through that door and that have got troubles in their life. And they're not coming here to hear the three opinions of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, which is, view, which is human viewpoint. They want to hear what God's viewpoint is. And that's why we want to be thinking with God. Maybe it's a time when we are just quietly studying to be quiet with a hand on the shoulder, a hug, and just a, an, a, a, a meeting of the eyes of understanding and quietness. Or maybe it's a, it's a prayer. But thinking with God, Elihu was that kind of a man. And then as, as Elihu is speaking, God comes into the picture. And God in chapter 38 verses 1 through 3 begins to speak. God begins to speak to Job. God begins to talk to him. And God has an issue with Job. Now here's Job. Think of Job here. He has lost it all. He has lost everything. He is sitting on the ground in absolute a suffering. And he begins to, he does the natural thing that any of us would ever do. And this is what we do very often when we suffer. We begin to justify ourselves. We begin to say, you know what, this is not my fault. I, I am a great person. Uh, why is this happening to me? All the good things I've ever done to people, and now look what's happening to me. I gave my entire life to people. Now I'm elderly, and now no one wants to even give me 10 bucks for something. You know, we can think that way, and Job starts thinking that way. You know, by the way, if you were alone, if you've given everything to God for your life, and you, were, you find yourself alone, remember this, Paul said this, he said, All have forsaken me, but the Lord stands with me. God stands with you. God is with you. You know, and I, I, I can just, you know, I, I'm, I'm not elderly. And what, what, what does that word elderly mean anyway? Elderly is anything that's 100 and older, I think. The rest is just teenage, right? We're all young people, aren't we? None of us are elderly in this room. None of us. Um, but if we find ourselves by ourselves, remember this, the Lord is with you. That God does not forsake you, you know? I'm just thinking about, you know, and I, I've been gone for 18 days, so I don't know what's happened with the situation, but, you know, we think of um, uh, these kids that, um, you know, the McLean family has been ministering to. I don't know what's, what the latest is with these kids, but, you know, like we think of these kids that have suffered a lot, and we're praying for them, and we just really want to see God rescue them and get into a good Christian home, you know? We want to pray for the McLeans on that, that that happens, Eddie and... and, the, and um, Armenia, you know, when we see things happen like this, we want to remember that the Lord stands with us. Even though we're by ourselves in the whole process, we want to remember God is with you. Maybe you're by yourself in a situation where you're ministering to people and you kind of stand by, by on your own, standing in truth, but God does not, God does not, 
God does not forget, does not forsake us. And so Job here is saying, I am a good man. Why is this happening to me? And God has to actually challenge Job a little bit. Because when we start to get a little bit self-justifying in the situation, that doesn't help. God has to say to Job in chapter 31, verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3, and also chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, God says to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer thee? Job said, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will, I will proceed no further. Job is starting to get the point as God speaks to him. Job is starting to understand that, that, that it's not about him trying to, or us trying to justify ourselves in difficult times. It's just about us surrendering to God. And I want to just end the message with this. that, And then tonight we're going to talk about how God just poured out blessing on Job's life. How God began to speak to Job and how God began to give him double what the devil took from him. But God wanted three things only from Job. Three things through all of this trouble. And three things I want to leave you with in this message. Three things that we see that, that really... Um, represented the life of Clara, Sister Clara. And this is in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 42, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 6. Verses 1 and 2 say this, that Job answered the Lord, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. What does Job say here? He's saying, I submit to God's absolute sovereignty. He, God can do whatever he pleases. And there's nothing that is going to constrain him. There's an aspect about the sovereignty of God, which means that God does what he pleases. And when we talk about sovereignty, it's kind of a big and scary word. But we have to understand that the sovereignty of God is based on what? Let me just throw that question out there to you. What is God's sovereignty based on? What is God's plan based on? What is it? Just think about an answer in your, in your mind. Is it based on his anger towards people? Is God's plan based on how good people are to God? No. God's sovereignty and God's plan is based on one thing, grace. That's what we've got to remember about our life is that whatever happens to us, this is going to work out to good. Something at the end of the road is going to be an awesome blessing in this. If you're living with people or if you are in contact with someone or if your wife or husband or kid is going through something, remember this. And just say it out loud. Something awesome is going to happen at the end of this. And we're not talking, we're just not saying this because it's positive thinking. It's it's biblical, Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. All things work together for good, right? All things work together for good for them that are called according to his purpose and those that are responding to God's love. Number two, God wanted Job to understand, which is the third verse here, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. He submits to God's infinity, (coughs) infinitely greater wisdom and knowledge. And And Job has attempted to talk about things that he didn't understand. What are we saying here? 
The second thing that God wanted Job to understand was Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that Job was a bit hasty to talk about what was happening before he understood what God was doing. This is very important because not only do we try to justify ourselves in the hard times, we try to talk about it and we try to give our opinion about it when the best thing to do is just to be quiet before God and not to utter things too quickly because sometimes, or very, not sometimes, but all the time, our mouth can get ourselves into trouble when we start talking without understanding what God is doing. And that's what Job said. He said, I put my hand over my mouth. Job did not want to utter things in the presence of God that were just ignorant of what God was doing. And then number three, verses four to six in chapter 42. Um, listen to this, what he says. I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Job was saying, I heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees. And I want to finish with this. I just want to finish with this, is that that is the whole aim of God in our lives. That God wants us to not only hear, but wants, to, wants our heart to see what's going on. Job here is talking about information. Now, you know, many of us come to church, we hear the Word of God preached, we can even quote Bible verses, and we know a lot of theology, I think. But it doesn't really become heart knowledge, heart knowledge, or heart sight until we actually have to apply it in a real life situation. And God says here, or Job here says to God, I heard about you by the hearing of the ear, which is important. We need to hear. That's Romans 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's why we have such an emphasis on church, that you know what, when we miss church, what will happen is, is that we're not ready for the test that week coming up. We're not ready for the quizzes and the exams that, that are set up. We're not ready for those things that God wants to bless us with. Sundays and every and midweek services are, are our strategy meeting with God. It's where we hear from God for the next day and the next couple of days. And you know something? Job said, I, I heard about you, God, only by the hearing. I heard about your reputation. I heard about what you do. But now, in my real-life situation, I have seen you with my eyes. And that's the most important thing I want to leave us with, is that God desires for us to not only know in our head, but really to have heart knowledge about what He's doing in our life, that we would have a personal relationship with God. I know that some folks here have really had a difficult winter. <laughs> it's been a rough winter, hasn't it? It hasn't been easy. I know some of us have not been out of our house for a while, and no one's no one's getting on anybody's case here about that because I don't want to. I, I understand that, and don't you know? Don't feel like I'm preaching at you. And uh, I just want to say that get encouraged, get built up, and encourage yourselves. And you know, the family, the, uh, the Clara's family is. I know that she was always very edifying, and she was. I think her biggest concern. I remember talking with her. Her biggest concern was that she was not going to be able to get out and minister to people. Uh, she had a little, she had like a little mission field over there at Charter Arms, didn't she? Not only there, but everywhere. You know, she would not. How many of you have ever gotten a door a knock on your on your door from her? You know, like how you doing? How can I pray for you? 
you know, and then she would have her Sunday afternoon meetings with, with, the, with folks downstairs. She had a mission, and I love that. That's a great example for us that, that no matter what age we are or, not, or are not, we can live with a mission in our life to minister to people. And that was her greatest purpose. And that was the greatest, that's one of the greatest, that's my testimony of her. I know that I did not know her for so long, but I know that the folks that have been in this church longer than I have uh, say that she has been a real pillar of the church with many women's out, outings with women and just Sunday school and, and things like that. And so we just rejoice. Uh, in one sense, I'm sad she's not here. We miss her. Her place is missing. But on the other hand, I'm just so happy for her that she lived an amazing life. I mean, she wasn't, you know, she had her tough times, but right up until the end, she was just like ministering to people and loving people and encouraging. That, that woman was unstoppable. And that's, what we, that's why we celebrate her life today. And that's what we're going to do with the dinner afterwards. And so let's think of Job when we think of Clara, that <coughs> tough times happen, but in the end, Job really came out with a victory. And when we suffer, when we suffer, let's take a look at what we're suffering and say, and just have God's viewpoint about it, that something good is going to come out of this in the end. Something good is going to happen. And how many know that song, Something Good is Going to Happen? How many know that song, uh, Something Good is Going to Happen? Does anybody know the words to that song? Okay. Anyway, let's just close in a word of prayer, and um, we will... Uh, Take the offering.